Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. Over the summer, our small operation was caught up in the Bill C-18 fiasco. Meta started to limit our pages on their platforms. Our posts on Facebook and Instagram are not being shared amongst you, our target audience. Google announced at the time that they were looking to limit Canadian news links on their search engine. We were shocked and worried about the viability of what we are trying to do here. Would we be able to survive without Google or Meta? We talked about this in a previous episode about the future of this podcast and news in general, and we have a link to it in our show notes. Regardless, we endeavored to keep doing what we are doing. As the questions surrounding what Google and Meta were going to do continued to mount, it seemed that the impact on us and our concerns was relegated to the sidelines. The focus was on post-media, Torstar, you know, the legacy media giants. Any actions undertaken by the federal government seemed to be done on their behalf. Small independent news organizations, like us, were an afterthought. And then a big question got answered. In the middle of last week, the federal government announced that it had reached a deal with Google. Google would pay $100 million to a fund for Canadian media, and in exchange, Canadian news would remain indexed on their search engine. We had recorded this episode the day before that announcement came down. However, we don't think that the announcement changes anything for us, truthfully. We're still blocked on Meta, and we're pretty sure we're not going to see a dime of that $100 million. So, Bill C-18 is still going to impact us negatively, which brings us to today's episode. We had been wanting our guest today to come on to the podcast for some time to talk about this matter. On his blog, he has highlighted how the federal government's tax credit to organizations to offset the expense of journalists' salaries seemed to be a money grab for news outlets who had suffered much due to the Bill C-18 fallout. It caught our attention as we will never be able to take advantage of that tax credit since the government doesn't identify us as a news organization. So we fully wanted to discuss this double standard, it seemed. Nevertheless, why we are here and why are we all jumping through hoops of the government's creation for an outcome that is not entirely clear? This is what we wanted to discuss with our guest today. And so we invite to the podcast Michael Geist. Michael is a law professor at the University of Ottawa. He holds the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law and is active on Canadian digital policy issues with a popular blog at michaelgeist.ca, as well as the Law Bites podcast. Michael joins us today. Hello. Uh, welcome, Professor Michael Geist, uh, to the 905er podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time from your busy schedule to come on to talk about, well, something that's near and dear to us, and that is a, a government uh, intervention into the digital podcast journalism realm. Thank you very much, Professor uh, Guys, for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, we wanted to talk to you for a while about this topic uh, because as listeners and any of our followers on social media probably know by now, we are silenced by Meta. Uh, on our social media pro uh, profiles, we are posting there, but chances are you're not seeing us because we are Canadian journalism, uh, and and so we're not being distributed there. Uh, which, uh, it, I mean, that that affects us, and it affects every journalism outlet in this country. And needless to say, yeah, surprise, surprise, it affects their bottom line. They're they're starting to hurt uh, when it comes down to uh, to making ends meet. And there was a post that you posted to your uh, to your blog, and uh, we'll have a link to it in our show notes, folks. But the government is is upping the the amount of uh, tax contribution that they can claim for journalism uh, salaries or journalist salaries uh, as a way to kind of offset the the expenses there. And what's interesting is uh, surprisingly, Roland and I can't access that funds. We're, we're locked out. Um, 
what, what, you know, what, what's the, where's the fairness here in that, that, you know, the small, a small entrepreneurial outlet like ourselves are locked out from these big bailout monies that are, that the government seems to be handing out to Torsar and post media, uh, for their follies. Right. Okay. Um, that's a good intro. It raises several issues. Um, both Bill C-18 and the effect that it's had, the Online News Act and the response that we've seen from Meta in particular, where it has blocked news links and not just you know large news organizations from Canada news links, but all news links or basically all the news links they can find more or less, uh, both large and small Canadian and non-Canadian. And we can talk if you like. A little bit on why that is, but it basically boils down to their interpretation, not their not unreasonable, I should say, interpretation of the legislation and what would scoop them in. And so they have tried to ensure that they are not covered. And the way to do that is to block news links. Uh, alongside of that is a government initiative that dates back actually before this legislation. It was one of the first attempts the government had to try to address ongoing concerns about the viability of the news sector in Canada to try to provide support to some news organizations. And one of the ways they decided to try to do that was through uh, tax credits for the cost of journalists. That's, that's known as the labor journalism tax credit. And the bailout that, that you reference is a recent decision to increase very substantially the amount that is available to or to to news organizations, news outlets that are covered by this or that qualify for this, uh, they can they will actually on a retroactive basis to this year to 2023 will be able to claim quite a lot more than they were before in terms of a tax credit. So you know we can go whatever way you want and and kind of break each of those down if you like. Well, let's yeah, let's just start off with talking about just how much money the government is actually giving to the old school news media. Um, uh, and it's really print media, I guess we're talking about here. Um, so it's gone from an already substantial $13,750 per employee uh, to $29,750 per employee, backdated, as you, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so uh, $129 million, um, $60 million alone. I'm just reading directly from your article here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, going, going to the, the print media to subsidize the continued existence of that media i suppose um i mean let's let's just start off by talking about the problems that 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 um that the kind of uh theoretical problems that that brings around with a government basically paying to run the news industry uh, perhaps you could just talk about that first before we get into the the, the then what's happening with the with the uh with the social media side of things yeah sure so so you're right this 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 was a government effort uh four or five years ago now to support print media in particular and that comes out of the fact that the print media have a good lobby group news media canada that represented their interests and uh, convinced the government to to move in this sector. I think it's fair to say that the government had some reticence in doing so for what should be pretty obvious reasons. It really does raise independence of the press concerns when the government itself is becomes a major funder or source of funding for news entities. But they ultimately became convinced that they needed to act. So they started with what they were what was promised to be a temporary measure. In fact, the head of News Media Canada at the time said, this is just for the first four or five years. You know, if we can't get our act together in that time frame, then then the ship has sailed, so to speak. And no, we learned that at the end of that, they actually are now have managed to secure more than double the amount of money for another four years and then expect that it will go back to the previous amount after that. So basically, it's now permanent and it's at a far higher level. And if you believe it's going back to that smaller amount, you know, I've got a bridge to sell you somewhere because you know, <laughs> these things never go back. Although, of course, if it's a change in government, you never know. But certainly not under the current government it's, it's, it is not going backwards. Um, you know, the the decision to to move in this for this particular sector really did stem from, I think, a perception as they looked across the new sector that this was the area that was in trouble. And this was the area that I think that in many ways politicians could most readily relate to. 
Um, so when they looked at the broadcast side, at least at that time, they said, well, listen, broadcast is either the CBC, which we fund, or we'll give you even more funding too, which the government did, or it's Bell and Rogers and Chorus and a few other very large companies that um, can, some instances can rely on their wireless revenues and in other instances, they're just big companies. So um, there were lesser concerns around the viability of those entities. Uh, but in the news side, the the, they did look at traditional print. And and I think it's fair to say that, by and large, the world of new online digital first media sources, including podcasters, really didn't register for most politicians. I mean, the truth is most politicians are older and not all, but many. Um, and And they are far more likely to talk about the weekly print news publication in their writing, especially amongst, let's say, some rural MPs, than they would ever be to talk about a podcast or a digital-first publication. There's there's just almost no awareness of them whatsoever. Um, So they jumped in to try to provide assistance for the entities that they knew about, and they created a full structure together with Canada Revenue Agency um, to create what's known as the Qualified Canadian Journalism Organizations, QCJOs, um, there are standards associated with all of that. They tried to make at least some of it arm's length. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is government providing before a sizable amount of money, now far more money through tax through tax credits. So it's not direct cash, but it's tax credits um, to essentially reduce the lift that these entities were facing in terms of what the cost would be. And, and certainly the entities that are recipients like it, but it does, of course, raise the question of, you know, does it compromise the independence of media outlets, knowing that government is such an important source of funding for their day-to-day existence? You know, you, you think about this in the context, let's say, of, of an election. And if we were to have an election a year or two, whenever it happens to be, and let's say, just for sake of argument, you had the Conservative Party mm-hmm. say, we're going to end this thing. We don't believe in government support. We're going to, you know, they've already talked about ending some of the support for the CBC. Then they might say, hey, we're going to end support here too, or we've got a different way of doing it, but this kind of more direct tax support is done. You know, the question becomes, would the media organizations that are recipients of this, knowing that that that, that system would be lost with a change in government, you know, to what extent would that skew some of their coverage in the hope of trying to keep keep their own, keep, you know, the, keep the the payments flowing. And, and I think there's no doubt that many of the larger players would absolutely um, seek to side with the, the government of the day in an effort to ensure its ongoing financial viability. The one I mean, we've, we've had, well, I, I've had discussions with uh, high ranking members of, of the federal government. I, I'm not going to name names. It's always off the record, but the one question I, I brought to them was, all, everything you just described strikes me as like a, a Bombardier version 2.0. Is that it's it's the federal government just forking over tax dollars to a an industry that's just unwilling to innovate and and adapt to the changing times. And it, it's not. A, am I fair in making that that comparison? Uh, I mean. I'm not sure it's straight apples to or apples to apples. It might be a bit more apples to pears, perhaps. But, but it, I, I'm seeing a lot of overlap or uh, uh, similarities here in, in that comparison. There are similarities for sure. I, you know, and and some of the similarities are that I think it's fair to say that the government of the day looks at this media sector as being really important to their individual members and the likelihood of getting reelected and their ability to communicate with constituents. And so there is a, an importance that is given to this sector that may be commensurate with the sec with you know Quebec MPs looking at a, you know, a cornerstone business in the province and saying, hey, we've got to make sure it survives for some of the same kinds of political reasons. So so I think that is certainly at play. I do think that the the case, the 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 difference a little bit is in the case of, say, Bombardier or some of similar kinds of businesses, it may be less, the, the support may be driven less by this vision that there's a broad public interest in support, but rather that it's an important economic uh, driver in a particular region. So there are 
political benefits for supporting, but they would also say more broadly, the economy benefits as long as this mm -hmm. continues. In the case of, of media, I don't think the government is trying to make the case that there is particular economic importance to post media or to what used to be tour star or some of the other beneficiaries. I think they're simply, they, they are instead making, and I think it's, it's not a, it's not a bad case that there is a public interest in ensuring that these companies continue to exist. And they may well reach the conclusion that part of it may be an, un, an inability to adapt, but part of it may also be that certain aspects of the news that are important in the broader public interest are simply going to be uneconomic almost no matter what. And so, you know, covering and the argument would be covering some of the local news is just never going to be really economic, but it's important in the olden days, so to speak, if we go back a decade or more, you could offset it through classified ads and through other kinds of things. So you might've lost some amount of revenue on some of that reportage, but there were ways to make it up. Uh, the argument would be some of that has dried up now. And so if the government does not step in to provide support and the public is often not willing to pay for that kind of news, but there is still a public interest benefit in the production of that news, well, then there is a role for government to play in helping to support it. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the very important side of this is, you know, we're not the government shouldn't be here to prop up the businesses, but the, the government's here to try and encourage important but not financially viable aspects of news journalism to continue. And you mentioned local journalism. Now, I mean, I would feel that since the subsidy has happened, the contraction in local news media has actually just continued as it was before. So it doesn't look to me like that money's actually saved the jobs of any local news journalists. I mean, just looking around our own area here in the 905, uh, I'm in Hamilton, which actually does have, still have a, a reasonably decent old school local paper in, in Spectator. It's not perfect, but it's, you know, it's a real paper. Let's admit that. But you then go to the next town down the road and you look at someone like Burlington or Oakville or Mississauga or all the other cities around the 905. And what, what, what counts as local journalism in those, those cities is frankly appalling. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I don't feel that it even meets the most basic kind of criteria of decent journalism. It hardly does, you know, when I moved into this region, uh, the local paper was three times a week, then it went to twice, now it's once. Um, but the once is like, are we really spending millions of dollars to save this, this, just apology for a newspaper from from disappearing entirely. I mean, it's it's not working, is it? I mean, the, the subsidies. I don't know where the subsidies are going, but they don't seem to be doing any good for actually maintaining that local news. Is that? I mean, that's a that's a long rant right there. But is that a fair point in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. No. How dare you bring facts to the discussion? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No. I think I think you make a really strong case. Um, and, and I'll admit that at times I look at some of the coverage that I see from different papers and, and I'm left to our organizations and I'm left to wonder, why is it that we're supporting these things? I mean, this notion that the that, that things would collapse if we didn't have it, um, I just oftentimes don't see it. And, and I do oftentimes, I would agree with you that there are better sources available out there. Sometimes they're local, sometimes they're international, sometimes they're niche, sometimes they're non-commercial. It, it really depends. And there's a lot of different sources out there that, that are different and that are often doing some really important work. And it is hard to make the case that, you know, the, the steps the government has made so far have, have at least improved the state of the new sector in terms of what's available. I think that there is some data suggest that things have flatlined a bit in terms they were, they were on a pretty significant downward trend and things have flatlined somewhat, but is the product any better? I don't know that a lot of people would would argue that it is. I, you know, I think there are many who would say we've got one newspaper that sort of produces pretty consistently higher value journalism. That would be the Globe and Mail. And outside of the Globe, you know, there's the occasional thing here or there from any from some of the other sources or even from our public broadcaster. Uh, but for the most part, it's it 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 
whether we're getting our money's worth at a minimum, I think is an open question. And and whether the idea that the the only approach is to continue to just shovel more money, whether that's public money or potentially tech money at these companies in an effort to sort of try to keep them afloat, as opposed to being willing to say that, you know what, it would be different, but if we lost Toronto Star or if we lost Post Media, um, that wouldn't mean that there wouldn't be entities reporting on news. It would just mean that those entities would cease reporting on news. You you mentioned uh, uh, the government's action on, on the tech companies, and I'd, I'm going to use that as my segue to my, my next point. I just want to shift gears to talk about Bill C-18 and C-11, and that when when I, we heard the government was bringing these these bills to uh, into action, I thought, all right. Initially, we thought that we were just not going to be affected. I was kind of looking with kind of a, a perverse curiosity, if you will, and then we got we got we got caught up in it. And I'm, I, I to me, I, it's just a, I, I'm I'm amazed at just how off target. Uh, this bill was for its stated goals. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what the purpose was of it. Was it to save journalism? Was it to penalize Meta and Google? Was it to send a message to somebody else? I don't know what the purposes was for it. And quite frankly, I don't care because I've said it felt like they kicked over a hornet's nest, and Roland and myself were the only ones getting stung here. <laughs> uh, and I wonder if you can give us some comments or your insights into that, and just. Where, where did this thing come from to, and why is it such a mess? Yeah. Uh, those are really Big good questions. questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, and they're, and they're really good ones. In fact, uh, as we record this, I appeared earlier today before a, for a house of commons committee, the heritage committee on, well, frankly, a bit of a, a crazy hearing focused on it's even in the description. It's all about tech companies and their, and their tactics to undermine democracy, basically, is what the title of this is. So they kind of made up their mind before they got started with this particular hearing. And what my appearance emphasized, at least in part, and a bit of an examination as to, well, why did we end up in this soup? Why did we end up in this in this current situation? And, and part of what I tried to argue was that I thought there was regulatory capture of this of that committee and of the government more broadly by some of the large legacy players. And in the case of C18, it's News Media Canada. You know, the committee was all about how powerful Google and Meta are. Uh, but I made the point that in terms of registered lobbyist meetings, the organization that had the most number of registered lobbyist meetings on these bills was, in fact, News Media Canada. And on C11, there are a number of more legacy cultural groups that also dominated the conversation in the committee's time. And all of this meant that very little was heard from online news, certainly not pod, the podcasting sector. I mean, a whole range of sectors that just didn't get much much airtime and very little credence from the committee as well. And the same was true for C11, where many digital first creators were also uh, given very little attention, if any attention, by the committee. So, so part of how did they end up this way is that they put themselves in in a bit of a bubble, listened to the people that told them what they wanted to hear, and so went ahead and legislated in the way that they did. And, you know, the and that's in the case of C-18, those same entities kept telling them, just pass this thing, don't worry, it's just a bluff, Meta is not going to block news, they can't live without Canadian news. And many were trying to tell this committee, you're wrong, This is this is not a bluff. And that um, the reality of their business model is that news just isn't very profitable and Canadian news isn't either. And if faced with the prospect of having to pay for links, they would just simply walk away from the links and 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 frankly, wouldn't be any worse for wear from a financial perspective. But um, committee didn't want to hear that. In fact, they didn't even want to hear from Meta for the longest time. They actually want to head, go ahead with this legislation without even hearing from one of the companies that would be most affected. And when you limit who you are listening to and you view anyone that criticizes or raises concerns as a shill for big tech or as as an enemy to be opposed or to be diminished, as opposed to at least giving it some serious thought and thinking, how can I how can I at least address some of these potential consequences? Government didn't want to have any of it, anything of it. And so uh, this was both 
predictable and predicted. And, you know, I, I think that the government and the sector that stood to benefit the most have no one to blame but themselves. I just want to go back quickly, just for anybody who's listening who isn't uh, familiar with, with, with kind of the basis for this for this problem about why uh, uh, Meta has cut off Canada and any, any Canadian news is kind of being blocked. And that was the argument from the old news media that basically, well, these guys are stealing our stuff. We're getting no money from it. They should have to pay to use our content. Um, and I always felt that that was a kind of big oversimplification just right from the, from the get-go. I mean, sure, um, you know, how how does information travel since since social media came into existence? It travels from the from the actual journalism through a kind of intermediary, which is often social media, to the user. Um, but this is you know at, at the very least a kind of Faustian pact. You know you may not like it, but everybody's benefiting from this deal uh, in that the newspapers getting in front of people's eyes that it won't get in front of otherwise. Uh, is is was that kind of claim right out the outset that you know we're we're being you know we're suffering here because all that content is being stolen? Um, is that a, a fair description of the actual situation uh, just from the get go? It's a fair description of what they said. I don't think it's a fair, <laughs> I don't think it's a fair description of what was taking place. I mean, I thought I thought these arguments around theft were just always ridiculous. We weren't talking about actually republishing full text articles. You know, if we were, it still wouldn't be theft, but we could get into a discussion around whether it's appropriate or not to license the content uh, or find some method of compensating. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in the case, particularly of Meta, with its social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, that these are news, these are links, first of all, that are sending the traffic back to the original source. As you know, you're not, not, Nodding, nodding strongly there. I mean, we know yeah. this, and um, and the truth is, most of them are put up by the publishers themselves. They yeah, want exactly. that free traffic. Yes, like, they're the ones yes. putting the stuff there. Yes, it's, and so the I mean, there's a whole business around search engine optimization yeah. and social optimization. I mean, this is this is like a sector, and the idea that somehow this is theft is absurd. And you did have groups, I and mean, there was a group uh, called Friends of Canadian Broadcasting that at one point in time, a couple of years ago put up wanted signs of Mark Zuckerberg and said he was wanted for theft because he was stealing the news. I mean, this is just so ridiculous. It, but It should be pointed out like every media organization has a social media department to put their stuff into every possible social media uh, platform out there. Yep. No, of course. And that's, that's the, you know, there's enormous value and we've seen how much value there is because now that value has been lost with the decision to block news links. So, you know, I think that was the argument. The The response from the tech companies were, well, we think we're actually providing a huge amount of value with the free, all these free links. And we don't choose what goes up there. You, our users decide, including the publishers, they post, they drive, that drives free traffic. Uh, that's a real benefit to you at the end of the that to the publishers at the end of the day. We think it's a pretty reasonable approach. And if someone doesn't want to have their content referred in this way, they can easily ensure that it won't appear. So you've got you've got options. Um, I mean, that's yeah, it's not a really good point. Yep. If you don't want people sharing your content, it's very simple to stop people sharing it. Exactly. Stick up a paywall. Stick it. You know. You, uh, yeah, or yeah. or a robot.txt file if you don't yeah. want it indexed. I mean, there's lots of different things that you can do. Um, but instead, of course, we know on many media sites, they've got these little widgets to try to encourage sharing on Facebook or Twitter X or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and as you mentioned, they've got people that that's actually their job. Try to find ways to increase the amount of sharing and the amount of traffic that it drives. So this this argument never, to me, made made a whole lot of sense. And I think it's... I think it's the original sin, in a sense, with with CAT, the the approach of mandating payments for links, which is really the only thing that they had they could base this on, because the companies were already entering into some deals with media companies. They were not copying full text, but you had the sector saying we want to find some way to loop these tech companies into pay more, and so well, they didn't really have anything left to sell other than the link and companies, the tech company's response was, well, linking is 
essential to free flow of information online. If you're going to charge us for links, um, we are going to have to consider not linking. And that's obviously what Meta has done. Google was always a little more circumspect about it, uh, in part, I think, because they could identify value that they that they did get from having being able to index the content. So in the case of Facebook, Facebook was like, listen, uh, the the value of your news content is is close to zero for us and their argument. It's not that people don't share news articles. They clearly do. And it's valuable to the news entities, but it's highly substitutable content. People spend, they found the same amount of time on the platform, whether they were looking at memes or pictures of friends as they did on news articles. So it just, there was just no economics behind it that made any sense to continue. In fact, quickly, if you think about it, the whole business model behind a company like Facebook, which, you know, nobody, and there are not many people who are big fans of Facebook at this stage, but the whole business model is keep the person on the platform for as long as possible to collect as much data about them as possible and serve them as many ads as possible. Viewed in that light, news links is about the worst kind of content they can have. News link sends the people away from the platform. It's not the kind of content they want. And so it feels like the only people who are surprised that Facebook's response to mandated payments for links, in effect, which is what this legislation does, was to say, fine, we won't link. Were those that the proponents of the legislation itself and the government itself, which was warned, but chose to ignore those warnings. Um, I, I want to try and maybe bring this conversation back full circle uh, and, and bring it back to your your blog post on the the subsidies for uh, journalism uh, from the federal from, sorry from the federal government. Is that act in itself kind of a capitulation by the federal government that yeah we got this one wrong but we can't say that we did and reverse the and you know and and withdraw the bill. Uh, is this just some kind of way of saving face, but kind of admitting it to the Canadian public? Like, yeah, we screwed up on this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. I think that, you know, the the approach that the government had on this has clearly not worked. Uh, you know, you can, they, they can continue to talk tough, but I, I don't think anybody's under any illusion that this has not worked out the way that they'd hoped and it has caused significant amount of harm. And so that really leads you down at this stage, two paths. One, the bailout that we've seen, which in a sense tries to make up for some of the losses that were basically incurred by this own goal with Facebook. Um, and then there is the outstanding question around Google. And, you know, if they are able to strike a deal with Google before the deadline and the deadline is December 19th. So if it's coming, it's going to come soon. Um, I would guess that it will involve a fair amount of capitulation. One in which they uh, move quite far from what they originally described this legislation as. We've already seen News Media Canada say that they're comfortable with a lot of the things that Google has proposed in terms of addressing some of their process concerns. Then it comes down a little bit to dollars. Uh, seems to me entirely possible that, that they may find that common ground, in part because the incentives are now all there. The government desperately needs something. Uh, otherwise, it's just a complete catastrophe. The sector recognizes there's, they've already been harmed. If they lose Google here, the harm is, is almost incalculable how bad that's going to be. Uh, and Google always made it clear that the, that the idea of removing links was not a preferred outcome. Um, but they were also cognizant of the precedent this would establish. And so we're looking to find a way to make things work. And, and perhaps they'll they'll get there. We'll see. But that seems to me to be where they're at. The government won't won't declare defeat here, um, but they are looking for alternatives, the bailout, potentially a deal. And I guess I should note, they recently announced, although they don't like to admit it, changes to a proposed digital services tax that was going to be applied to companies like Google and Facebook that they had long insisted would take effect in all likelihood on January 1st of next year. Um, recently in that same fall economic statement, the finance minister now says that it will take place, take effect on a date to be determined. So they basically back down on that as well. So, so if, if Google um, and the government reach some kind of a deal, do you think that will be enough for, for Meta to say, well, hey, if we can get the same terms, let's all be friends? Or is this just, this is done now? This is never coming back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I know I don't think this will be enough to bring Meta back. I think uh, Google's, th- those two companies, it was, it's been clear for quite some time that the two companies view, view the value of news somewhat differently. Meta, Meta, I think, views it as almost like a necessary evil in most markets, so long as they're not having to pay for it. Um, you know, some of their users are interested in it, so it will stay. But it's not something they're they're anxious to have, and definitely not something they are anxious to pay for. Uh, Google, on the other hand, sees it as not for the Google News service, which you know isn't really isn't driving the economics, but the inclusion of that of those links within the search index, I think, is viewed as as something that's important. You know, if you're going to if you're trying if your goal is to create the most reliable search engine around not having that content undermines that goal. So I think they do see value here and there is more openness within that company, I think to pay for it as compared to, to, to meta. So no, the, if there is a Google deal, meta will say, well, that, I guess that made sense for Google, but it doesn't make sense for us. And my guess is the only way you get meta back is to repeal the legislation. We haven't spoken about, uh, and I haven't heard much talk about Twitter, the other social media entities. The same rules apply, don't they? Uh, if you're sharing content on Twitter, that's still it's exactly the same stuff. Uh, but why has Twitter kind of not, um, or X, I guess I should say, uh, reluctantly? Yeah. <laughs> um, why has that not been part of the discussion? Yeah, no the, the part of the uh, part of the oddity throughout of seeking to describe this as theft is that it was it was the same links across multiple platforms that could include search engines like Bing or social media like LinkedIn or Apple News or Twitter uh, or the companies that we're talking about. And yet under the government's approach, the only place that required compensation, the only companies that required compensation were initially Meta and Google. And now it's just Google because if Meta doesn't link, then they aren't a digital news intermediary under the law. And so it's not doesn't apply to them. So why is that? The It's based on new confirmed, I guess, by new regulations that the government will finalize before the 19th. But they put a draft out that basically requires the large platforms to meet certain thresholds, both in terms of revenue, which are easy, frankly, for those companies to meet, but more importantly, active users in the country. So they they need to be viewed as dominant, both in terms of the amount of revenue they generate, as well as in terms of kind of what their usage base is like in Canada. And the truth is nobody meets that standard except for Google and Meta. And then if you do meet that standard, you're only included if you facilitate access to news, which would include linking. So Meta no longer meets that meets that threshold because they don't link. So yeah, Twitter, of course, people use Twitter for linking to news at a much higher percentage in terms of usage than we would find on some of the other platforms, mm-hmm. but it's just not big enough. And LinkedIn and Bing are closer, um, but they're not there yet. Bing, LinkedIn actually is had they their one of their thresholds was 20 million active monthly users the linkedin has more than 20 million users in canada but uh the percentage of those that are active are quite is quite a lot lower so they don't at least for the moment meet meet the threshold which of course leads you to this potentially weird scenario whereby you could have some of these services as they get closer and closer to the threshold begin to say that there is a big cost in growing anymore uh, in Canada because if they grow anymore, they right. kind of trip the wire and suddenly now they are subject to this kind of legislation. And the same is true on C11, where if they hit a certain threshold, suddenly then they find themselves subject potentially to making mandated CanCon payments and other sorts of rules. What I've found fascinating about this whole experience has been how uneven this process has been applied. Um, and I'm going I'm going to use our, our example is that we we initially, as we've said, we thought we were small, small fish to the big guys. We were just kind of going to go underneath the wire and nobody was going to pay attention to us. And the fact that we were caught up in this, okay, fine. Flattered that you think we're just as relevant as post-media tourists are. Thank you for the, for the accolades, but you know, we're, we're, we're small. We don't have the, you know, the, the financial 
back as to to whether this compared to post media and tour star. And now the fact that we're coming into this bailout for them, yet we can't access that because the government says we're not journalism, but Meta and Google says yes, you are. And and like like it, it, it just strikes me as how poorly written this bill is that you know we're we're caught up in it. We're just, just trying to do our thing. We don't think we're harming anything. If anything, we're trying to add to the ecosystem to the to the you know asking the, for money from anybody really. Yeah. Well, just our, <laughs> it, just supporters. I mean, hey, go check, go to our website, click on the supporter tab. We'll take uh, five dollars a month. Fantastic. <laughs> but we're not taking any tax dollars. Yet we're still caught up in all this. And I just wonder, like, you know, how how I'm not saying woe is me, but it's just I find it's just really poorly written that the small guys such as ourselves are caught up being compared to post media, yet there's no help coming for us from anyone. Yep. Um, Yeah, I don't have a good... I I mean, I think you succinctly described the situation. That's true. Part of it is, I don't think many of the politicians even know that entities like yours even exist. Um, And to the extent to which they do... A few do, because I've spoken with them. (laughs) Okay. But I'm sure a few... And I'm saying, I'm sure a few do... The, I guess perhaps then the more important question is how many of them care. Um, yeah. And it, and that's not personal to you. It's uh, simply a reflection of where, of, you know, I guess to come back to the notion of, all right, let's judge based on facts. Um, if they did care, then, then I don't think we would end up in the position that we're in. And we had, there were any number of digital first entities and some, some that, that are focused primarily on the podcast sector uh, that, did raise concerns. And, you know, I mean, I, it's hard to interpret the government's response as anything other than a shrug of the shoulders. And uh, they just didn't seem to to care. And and I've, I think it's worth noting, and you kind of, you know, skated around a little bit, but uh, I, think, I think it's worth saying directly that, you know, I've talked to a number of entities that operate in smaller communities, often as digital first, who note that, the, their only main competitor typically is oftentimes the CBC at this stage. So they say, listen, I'm already, for as this entity, I'm already competing with a publicly funded entity, which makes things tough. They are looking oftentimes for unwilling to accept digital ad dollars as well. So I'm not just competing with them for resources. I'm now competing with them for ad dollars. And you are then turning around and using C18 to give them additional now tech funding that stand to be 75% of the money is going to broadcasters, according to the parliamentary budget officer, you know, they say, how are we supposed to compete in this world uh, where, you know, a private entity that is simply trying to make its way based on whatever gener- uh, whatever revenues it can generate in the market finds itself quite literally competing with a publicly funded entity that competes with it for ad dollars and now receives tax potential tax benefits in some instances or in others simply um, gets ta- tech money. Uh, that's a, it's a pretty tough market to be in. And it explains why, you know, I think many of these entities are, are really troubled by the, the path the government's taken and why and I actually raised this as part of my appearance today. Why, at the current time, it's got to be very tough to raise investor funds into the sector in Canada, given the kind of uncertainty and and government policy here. I mean, what you know, it's it's hard enough to get people to invest in media to get them to invest when there's uncertainty as to whether or not the largest social media company and potentially the largest search is even going to carry your links, and your competitors may be getting sources of support that you aren't eligible for. I mean, who wants to invest into that? It, it it's a strange situation, you know, and it's like ultimately the government is saying it wants to do something that we, you know, and I'm not tooting our trumpet. There's other people doing similar things. Uh, uh, I appreciate that we're we're very small, but collectively there are uh, a, people trying to do a kind of quality and a level of coverage in local news. Basically, we're doing local news that. Because the the news media has failed for so long and so entirely to cover that news, you know, there's no, there aren't journalists going and sitting in council chambers anymore. And I'll be honest, neither are we. But that was that's that kind of ambition. Whereas the local <laughs> traditional media just isn't, you know, even trying to cover that kind of thing over more. 
you know, to, to, to give proper coverage for, for local news. It's like, why would you do something that's so utterly, yeah, outcompetes, uh, 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 works against a new uh, market in that area? Uh, so it's, it's very frustrating. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, I guess it's just the, the continual plight of, of, the, of the little guys to say, we just want a level playing field. But uh, it, it certainly, you know, if you want to talk about, uh, uh, you know, the effect of, of lobbying on government, I mean, this is the most straightforward case of big business lobbying you can ever see. And I guess I understand why a government would always listen, because this is, the way in which they get their news out, but it's uh, certainly it's certainly frustrating, and and I don't see how it ultimately is going to be good for Canadian media. Um, I, I, you know, the the, the crisis that they're in is going to continue, and I don't see that you know making into this kind of subsidy junkie entity that year after year after year just keep, comes back with the begging bowl is ever going to produce a good and vibrant uh, situation. Uh, again, I'm, I'm just going off on my own personal rant, but <laughs> I mean, how should it work? I mean, do, do you have a sort of vision for, for what should, ha- it's not really your job to, to come up with that vision, but, but for, for, for what maybe should happen in Canadian media, if there is going to be a, a viable and vibrant uh, sector. Yeah, no, the, I, well, I loved listening to that because I agreed with so much of it. Um, you know, in terms of solutions, and I, I agree with you, it, it shouldn't. Necess- I don't think it necessarily is my role to come up with solutions. Although I will say that yeah. as, anytime you take the step to criticize legislation, one of the responses that you get is, "Well, what would you do?" Uh, and I think there are things that that, that could be done. You know, I think uh, I'm not adverse to having tech companies put into the market, put money into the sector. Uh, or into support journalism. I am opposed to basing it on links and uh, having it go directly to bottom lines of companies as opposed to more directly funding journalism. So there have often been raised the prospect of uh, arm's length funds that could be used to help support journalism. And so that anyone, that would be open it up for eligibility to tell anyone uh, who would have the ability to say, Here, here's the coverage I want to do. Let's say it's, let's say it is local council. Um, and, you know, give me the the money that I need to hire someone, and this is going to be their beat, and this is going to serve the community in some some important ways, and it's something worth funding. And then, and I think every indication was that there was some openness on the tech companies to support something like that, as opposed to the the way C eighteen was structured. I think we could, rather than the investing so heavily in the tax labor journalism tax system that we've got, we could. Instead, invest essentially in tax credits for people who subscribe. So basically, we could take the position and say, we as a government are not going to decide the winners and losers here. We want Canadians to decide the winners and losers or which entities they want to support. And we are going to create the incentives for them to conduct that, provide that support, because we will give them pretty much whatever they contribute back as a tax credit. So it will make these uh, subscriptions close to free, maybe a little bit of skin in the game, but it'll be very inexpensive. So basically, if you are interested in this, we will subsidize it for you so long as it's a Canadian uh, entity, but we won't decide for you. You get to decide, you get to make the claim, and then you find yourself, I think, in an environment where they get, where it's the public that's actually directing their money in effect, um, in the sources that they think are valuable. And it's maybe some of the legacy players do very well under that system. Maybe they don't, but I, I think that's a much better system that kind of removes the government, the concerns around independence and the government by putting it in the hands of individual Canadians. And then with the CBC, uh, I would say I'd get the, I, I certainly the CBC would not be a beneficiary of any of this stuff. And I would have the C I would stop the CBC to continue to, to take digital advertising and ensure that digital ads go exclusively into the, the private sector. I think there's value to have a CBC. I think one of the sad things has been that the CBC could have seen this current crisis or challenge as sort of a prime opportunity to demonstrate its value. You know, in a world where a lot of 
important news is going behind paywalls or now the links are blocked on social media, that's an opportunity for the CBC to say, the public already paid for this. We are going to try to make it as broadly and as widely accessible as possible. We're going to permit use or reuse of that material because basically the public invested in it and what we want is to make it as widely available as possible. And that, I think, helps make the case that every Canadian should have non should have non paywalled access to credible news, and the and it's the CBC that does it, and we're the ones effectively that pay for it. And yet, the CBC essentially sends the signal to government that they want to be treated like every other broadcaster. And they're like, no, no, we want we want that tech money, we want to limit access, we want the digital ads, and I don't understand it because if they're going to be treated like every other broadcaster then okay let's take away the let's take away the billion plus that we provide and you can compete on your own and then you'll be just like any other broadcaster um i think we're coming up on our time for uh for this episode i i we could probably go on for two three more episodes just talking about this there's a million thoughts that we i think we both have running through our heads but uh i I know you're you're a busy man, uh, Professor Guy. So I'm, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. But thank you very much for uh, sharing this amount of time with us today. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was a really fun conversation. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.